Hi, welcome to the Meg Pearson podcast, Fertile at 40. I'm your host, Meg Pearson. After many health complications due to alcohol addiction and an eating disorder that ruled my world for close to 20 years, I was told I would never have children. At 38, I naturally and surprisingly fell pregnant and the transition from maiden to mother was wrought with love, grief, excitement, and healing. Becoming a mama was about far more than just soothing stitches and learning how to care for a tiny human. It was, and still is, a relearning of who I am and what I am truly capable of. After over two challenging years trying to conceive a second baby since, I gratefully and naturally conceived my second child just as I turned 41, after three losses and heaps of heartache. I am a doula in training, holistic chef, teacher of yoga, and a childbirth educator, and I am here to share my story because I know it's not just mine. Join me each week for unbiased convos with a no-bullshit approach to faith, infertility, conscious conception, and connected pregnancy, with birth stories, expert interviews, and personal anecdotes to help tell the story of creation. Welcome. Now let's do this. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Fertile at 40 podcast. I am so excited to have you guys here today. This episode is going live the same time that we are rounding the bed in our current rounding the bend in our current pregnancy. Um, I will be 22 weeks, two days after this episode goes live. Super fun. Um, and this today's topic is a really important one to me because I had my first daughter at 38 years old back in 2019, and we did not have a smooth breastfeeding journey, which is, I think, probably um, something that a lot of you guys are listening might be able to relate to. We are often taught to believe that breastfeeding, because it is natural, that it is easy, and that is 100% not the case for a lot of women out there and, and, and breastfeeding people. Now, for me and Kobe, we had very difficult issues with latch from day one at the hospital. I left the hospital after two nights with already bleeding, cracking nipples because of the forced assistance from many nurses there to to get my my breasts in action. And and that led ended up leading to three weeks of horrible bleeding nipples, two really, really deep, serious cases of mastitis infections in my breast. Um, blocked ducts and and tons of antibiotics for me. It was a horrible experience. Um, the latch was painful. Kobe was not being nourished the way she needed to be. Um, so actually, when she was about three weeks old, eighteen days actually is when I went in and saw our pediatrician for the first time. And finally, after feeling super emotional and feeling so hopeless and useless and that I was not a good enough mother because I was failing to nourish my daughter. Um, I finally started leaning on some formula and started doing the combo feed um, from that point on in our, in our breastfeeding journey. Now, I only breastfed till about five months, which is I was hoping to go at least six. Um, but because of the situation I was in and I was back working and the, between pumping and bottle feeding and um, dealing with my engorged breasts when I was at work, I we we did 
bring our breastfeeding journey to an end earlier than I'd hoped. And I am trying to prepare myself better this time to not only maybe not have the same supply issues I had, and I know that a lot had to do with how I was nourishing myself at the time, and I'm going to make some changes with that, um, but also hoping to continue the breastfeeding journey with little Ozman when he joins us this July for as uh, as long as I can. I would love to go six months. I would love to go a year if possible and maybe even longer. So we'll see how that plays out. But I am preparing myself and that is part of the reason why I wanted to have a guest on the show as soon as possible for my personal greedy reasons, but also because I think this is a conversation that needs to be had more often. Um, the importance of preparing for our lactation journey. So today I have an amazing guest on the show. Her name is Alex Wachelka. She's a lactation specialist and the founder of Motherhood Blooms Lactation. Her personal breastfeeding journey uh, included low supply, just like me, but also painful latch, tongue tie, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and it was after seeking help and that she decided that she wanted to help support other parents on their breastfeeding journey as well. So she now educates and empowers new moms and soon-to-be parents in a safe, judgment-free environment using an evidence-based approach. Today on the show, we talk about what Alex thinks about the saying, quote, breast is best, end quote, <laughs> as well as how new parents can set themselves up for breastfeeding success. We also touch on how older women like myself can support themselves in the breastfeeding journey and what foods can help with supply. So without further ado, we're going to get right into today's Today's episode, here we go, my conversation with Alex Wachowka. One last thing before we get into the conversation, I want to remind you that this podcast provides general information and discussion about natural medicine, health, pregnancy, and childbirth-related subjects. The content here should not be taken as medical advice, and the content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult with your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Now, on with the show. All right, Alex, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Such, uh, I'm just, I could talk your ear off for a million years. I wanted to just hit record and get started here because I know that you're going to have so much information to share. Welcome to the, to the Fertile at 40 podcast. Thank you, Meg. I'm so excited to be here today. Lactation is a passion of mine and I'm really looking forward to the chat that we're going to have today. Amazing. So we're going to get right into it now. Everyone that's listening to the show probably knows that I'm currently pregnant and that I've had a daughter. I had a daughter who's two and a half and I haven't talked a whole lot about my, my challenges with breastfeeding. And today I'm so excited to have you on here so that you can, you know, shed some light for not only the listeners, but also for me when it comes to this often not discussed enough part of the, the, the preparatory journey when it comes to you know, becoming a mother. Now, I know obviously a lot of people out there are choosing different routes, whether they, for some reason, they, they have production issues or problems, or they have to go out back to work right away and they have to, you know, go the route of formula. I had to go the route of formula um, with my daughter early on at five months. But um, I think it's important that we talk about this. Anyone that is trying to conceive that is pregnant or, you know, is planning to have a second child and wants to try to do things differently. Let's really, let's really talk about breastfeeding. And I mean, everyone knows the benefits, right? We, we've, we know so much about why breast milk is, you know, whether it's the saying breast, breast, breast is best, but you know, let's not, I don't want to talk that, but have that conversation unless you really, what's, what's your take on that? What's your take on that? Let's just ask that question. Yeah, that's a, a great way to, to start off because there is, there's so much around that 
that sentence and and this movement of, you know, there's breast is best, fed is best. And quite honestly, my take is supported and informed is best. You need to know the options and you need to know that that you need support because there are so many challenges and obstacles that can come up. And if you don't have someone to help you through them, you can quickly see your journey heading in a different direction than you imagined it to be. So really having that, that information from you know, a specialist and, and having that support is, is really most important because just as you described, there are so many ways that we can feed our babies. So it, it, it can always be a combination of things. It never has to be you know, one or the other. And, and, and it's really never this one size fits all approach. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And that feels really good because the focus of this podcast is giving information with a really unbiased point of view, because like you said, every, I mean, every mother is different and what we need most is to be informed, right. And then, and be able to make the decisions that are going to be best for us and our baby, given our very unique situations. So let's, let's get right into this. And I got to say, I'm being a little bit selfish here today because this, (laughs) you know, I'm preparing to have my second child very soon, but what is, How can a new parent, birthing person, mother, set themselves up for success when it comes to breastfeeding? And, and, you know, let's let's talk about me, for example, I'm hoping to breastfeed with the second baby as much as long as possible. So how can I, as an average mother, set myself up for success? So I always encourage everyone, whether this is your first child, your second, third, to actually meet with a lactation professional beforehand, because this is where we can really learn more about your history, especially if you've already had one feeding journey. Uh, We can gather some of that history of what were your challenges, what, you know, obstacles did you face? How did your birth go? Because that can actually impact the start to your breastfeeding relationship. So connecting with someone beforehand is, is definitely something that I encourage. And then afterwards, immediate skin-to-skin contact is just does wonders for supporting your body's ability to continue to produce milk because milk production actually starts in the second trimester. So milk is there when baby's born, but that skin-to-skin helps also with baby's natural instincts. They are born with these instincts to root for and want to feed. And having that opportunity to spend time skin to skin after birth allows them to use these instincts to root for the breast and and to begin to latch on. And that closeness with the two of you releases this beautiful oxytocin. And it's really supportive of getting breastfeeding off to a successful start. Yeah, which is something that I remember I had read a little bit about. And I, as far as my preparatory journey, what I did is I did an online course about breastfeeding. I thought, okay, that this is enough and I'm going to know exactly how to do it. Right. And, and then right after I gave birth in hospital, my daughter was wrapped up and, and, and given right away to the pediatrician. So I did not get to experience that, that skin to skin. And I, on a intellectual level level knew the importance of it, but did not advocate for it. So that's definitely something that, um, is going to have be different for me this time around. I'm hoping. Now, I want to talk. I mean, I have so many questions for you, and I just realized I just jumped right in here, and I didn't even ask Alex for you to tell us a little bit about you and your story, how you got into this, because this is something that I think is important. Because a lot of birth workers that I've been talking to, myself included, 
have, have, they've had their own journeys with, with birth, with childbirth, with, with becoming a mother. So I would love to just hear a little bit about you and your story and how you got, how this became your direction. Absolutely. So my background has always been nutrition. I went to school for that. That's what my undergrad was in. I spent seven years in the the nutrition and, and coaching and wellness industry. Lactation and breastfeeding wasn't even on my radar until I became a mother and had my first child and had an incredibly challenging time breastfeeding him. And it was I did reach out for, for support, but I waited and I, and I looking back now, I know I shouldn't have waited as long as I did, but it was because I thought a lot of the challenges that we were going through were normal. I thought it was supposed to hurt. I thought it was supposed to, you know, he was supposed to feed all day long, 24 seven. And there were just so many little things that I thought, well, this is, this must be normal. And so I postponed it, but what was happening was the, the latch was really really painful. Every I was growing to dread every feeding. So I finally said something isn't right. There's there's no way people have, you know, breastfed their babies for as long as they have if if it hurts as much. So I called for support and that first interaction with someone who was supposed to be supporting my breastfeeding journey was was really disappointing. They were actually quite dismissive and told me that while the pain is normal, you know, it should go away. And I had fury in my body because I thought this, this can't be normal. This, I am in pain. So they were able to connect me with a local lactation consultant and she was able to help us work through our challenges. My son did actually have some anatomical challenges. He had a a tongue tie and a lip tie. And that was Ah. the whole reason for the painful breastfeeding, the low supply that I was experiencing And while she helped us find the root cause and and set us on the right path, it was my experience with her that just didn't sit right. I was always really feeling dismissed. I didn't feel listened to. And I just thought this, this can't be, this can't be it. This can't be how people are, are getting support. That's not, that doesn't seem fair. And because of those challenges and the way that I was feeling, I did start to do a little bit of more work on my own. I did a deeper dive into what my son was going through and and how to help support us. And through that process, I discovered this passion that I had no idea existed. So at four months postpartum, I went back to school. I enrolled, I trained in lactation so that basically I could help other people not have the same experience as me, because it's important to me that you feel validated, you feel seen, you feel safe and comfortable when you're working with me. And that was that it was my experience is what basically started it all. Wow. I mean, and I feel like that's, that is such a common experience that people have when it comes to breastfeeding is this idea that it should be easy. And even some professionals looking at situations and saying, well, this is normal. And I remember you know, in early on in my breastfeeding journey, I was, my nipples were bleeding. Like I was the, my daughter would come off the breast with blood on her mouth. I was like, is this, how normal is this? And, and the pain, like, and I ended up with, um, infections constantly. Like it was a really, really difficult time. Unfortunately, where I live, where I lived at the time, there was not any 
lactation support that I could call upon without having to drive for five hours to have someone actually be with me. And so I, I worked with just the, the local pediatrician. Um, but I think that that is, it's such a gift that you are offering the world by, by being someone that's actually seeing, seeing mothers and, and, and really allowing them to, to know and trust their intuition when something isn't right. Because I think that's a big part of motherhood that we that we dismiss. Like if we feel like something isn't right, it doesn't matter sometimes what all of the professionals are telling us. We know as mothers, this isn't right. My baby's not satisfied. I feel a little like shit. <laughs> you know, like that's that's signs that there's something wrong, right? Absolutely. And I I completely agree with you. I always encourage parents, you know, I tell them, you are the expert of your baby. No one else has lived your life experience. No one else has gone through what you went through. No one knows your baby like you do. You might not be a pediatrician or a lactation consultant, but you have that intuition that you're speaking of and trust it. There are so many parents I've seen that are just dismissed time and time again. And then, you know, I get all of these DMs and these stories of this was the problem all along. And, you know, it took five different people to find it. So it is so important to, to trust that gut that we have as mothers, that intuition. Yeah. And so let's talk about this because something that, that we had brought up um, touching on is, is how to know if your baby is in fact getting enough milk, because I know for me, I had no idea my supply, like my daughter ended up losing a ton of weight in the first three weeks. We ended up supplementing on formula because I was going through all of this physical pain. I couldn't even imagine feeding her any more than I was. Clearly she wasn't getting enough. I, and I, as a mother knew that a week in, I knew that something that I, that I, that it wasn't right, but everyone was telling me it was normal for her to lose as much weight as she did, which it wasn't. Um, so how, how can, how can mothers know, how can we know, or what are some yes. signs? Yes, there are absolutely signs because one thing that I find uh, a lot uh, causes a lot of anxiety or worry for parents is we can't see the milk. We can't see how much is going into them. There is no measurable amount to look at. And that can be really worrisome. You have this brand new person and you just want to do the best and, and provide the best for them. So I always tell families, you know, in this first, first week or two, there are really things that we're looking for. So we, we want to look for babies swallowing. So that is something that I always point out first because a baby swallowing milk is a great sign that you know they're they're transferring milk is what we call it. They've removed they removed the milk and, and they drank it. So watching your baby while they're feeding is really, really helpful. So looking at them and looking at their jaw. So we want to look at their chin, sort of along their jawline, even up towards their ears, and look for these subtle movements of the chin comes down and pauses and then comes back up. That indicates that baby's swallowing. Often as your milk starts to transition, so that, that colostrum, that first milk you produce starts to transition over those first two weeks and the volume goes up. When the volume starts to go up, we can hear baby swallow too. So it, there's a soft K sound. And if we're hearing and seeing swallowing, that's an excellent sign that they're transferring milk. We also want to check in with you and how you're feeling. When you are first producing milk for a baby, your body doesn't actually know how much milk it needs to make. It doesn't know if you had one baby, two babies. It, it is it's trying to figure this out. And it does so by 
how often your baby is feeding and removing milk. So because of that, often your breasts will feel a lot firmer before a feeding. And then you'll notice that subtle shift to them feeling softer. That's another good sign because baby removed that milk. Right. We also want to check in with their diapers. This is a really great sign of milk intake in that first week of life because there are really clear transitions. So a baby's first poop is called meconium. It's very sticky. It's dark brown. There's not a lot of it is produced. And we actually start to see that shift. It changes in color, the consistency, the volume starts to go up. So we're looking for one, one diaper for each day of life is a really easy way to remember it. So if they're two days old, we are looking for two peas and two poops. If by about days four to five, we start to see a color change. So their poop actually shifts to this, this yellow color. And that is a really good indicator of they're getting enough breast milk. We want to see that color change to yellow. And by about days five, there should be about five wet diapers and somewhere around three or four dirty diapers. Those are all good signs that baby is getting enough milk. And then also we want to check in with, with weight because there is a normal percentage of weight loss that happens after birth. And some things can augment and change that like IV fluids, but there's still a threshold. And we, you know, we want to make sure that baby is gaining back their birth weight by about days 10 to 14. Now, what is that, that, that normal percentage of weight loss just to refresh? Cause Yes. So it anywhere between seven to to 10%, 10 is, is where we're, you know, it's sort of the, the cutoff. We want to see what's going on. We want to have an assessment and determine, do we need to intervene? Because sometimes that weight loss number can be really great if there were IV fluids at delivery, because if you had extra fluid that was transferred to baby, and then both of you have to have that time to, to pee it out afterwards. So that's when I like to get a a 24 hour wait on baby. Uh, interesting. But, mm. Okay. So these are all things that are, that point to breastfeeding is going well. So let's talk about the other side of things. Like how do we know that things aren't working out? Like, like, or that maybe we, we should, we should seek support. You know, for me, it was, they could, I could, I even, I stayed in the hospital for two nights after giving birth and they could not get, even get colostrum really out of my breasts. Like I had nurses squeezing and just the most uncomfortable situation. And it was like, I just wasn't, I wasn't able to, to, to offer that. And then it, it seemed like days and days and days before my milk came in, I had infections, I was bleeding. It was super painful. Like how, what are some signs that things aren't going right and maybe support should be, should be, should be sought. And then the next in follow-up, you know, in your case, how, when, when to look into maybe there's an, uh, an, atomo- an, an anatomical issue with the baby or something else that that's more, that needs more investigation. Yeah. So there, as we've already chatted about so many different things that can come up for for someone during their, their breastfeeding experience. So some of those red flags, the, the signs to get help, the, the one that I always talk about is pain because I don't feel that it should be normal. It's normalized in our society. Oh, just push through it, you know, toughen up. It'll, things will get better. No, if you're uncomfortable and feeding your baby is not enjoyable, that is a sign that you should get some support because that pain 
could be coming from a shallow latch, which could just be positional. It could just be, you need some support because breastfeeding as much as it, you know, we, we call it natural. It doesn't feel natural. It's, you know, I, I equate it to riding a bike or driving. You have to learn it. It's a learned skill between you and baby. So sometimes we just need to adjust positioning that pain could be coming from something at, like my journey was so anatomical, they could have challenges with their, their function of their tongue and their lips in, in breastfeeding. And I mean, again, that, that could be a tongue tie. It could be something else, something different entirely. So pain is really a sign to get some support because I don't think anyone should, should suffer through that. If you're not seeing your baby swallow or you're not hearing them swallow, or you're just concerned that maybe you're maybe you're missing the swallows and you need some help there. I would say that's another sign to reach out. If you don't see baby's diapers transition, reach out for support. If you are just feeling like something is wrong, because again, there, there is so much power in yourself as a parent, even though you just met this little person, you, you, you know, if something just doesn't feel right. And if you're, you're feeling like maybe they're sleeping longer than they should, or they're feeding longer at the breast than they should. Really, if you're feeling like something is wrong, those are all valid concerns to reach out to someone. Yeah. I mean, in my case, it, the biggest thing for me, aside from the pain that everyone was like, oh, it's, it's too super common. It was that my daughter was crying all the time. Like she was not happy. She was a very angry. I, I always, I thought she was just an angry baby because for the first almost three weeks, she cried. If she wasn't sleeping, she cried. I, I used to joke. I never saw her eyes for the first month because she was either squeeze, squeezing them shut, crying and screaming or sleeping. So that was what ended up bringing me to, to the pediatrician to have her, have her weighed and checked in because I just was like, this isn't normal. I can't imagine that my daughter is hating life this much, you know? So yeah. I think, like, I think it does so much of it does come down to us as mothers, just really feeling into, to what feels right and what feels wrong now. Oh, I had an amazing question that my pregnancy brain has, has taken it away. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about something that you had posted on social media very recently. Um, you had some infograms, some images about what what you need to have a successful breastfeeding journey. And I really, really loved it. You pointed out to, you know, like a thing like an app is something that you don't need, but what you need is support. So could you talk a little bit to that? Because I think I was one of those people that I thought, okay, I just need to have a, a whiteboard in the, in the nursery that I can write when my last feed was and what breast it would be. And like, seriously, I didn't have that time for that at all. <laughs> it was, it was, but it seemed like all these great ideas that in, in reality and application, did not support me at all. So can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So with my journey, it was, you know, I was prepping the things that I thought I needed for breastfeeding. You know, I had the, the nursery set up. I had the chair that I needed. I thought I you know, should have nipple creams and, and bottles, maybe just in case. And the way that it all played out, none of that supported me. I needed to go see a provider. I needed to see someone to help me through those challenges. So there are so many gadgets and apps and things that are marketed heavily marketed to new parents. And I find that 
they just cause a lot of anxiety. They cause you to doubt yourself. You know, I'll have parents read off well, he fed on, you know, the left breast for 17 minutes. and, And it's like, let's talk about how he's feeding. Let's go back to those swallows. So what's really important is, is things like support and evidence-based information. And that means, you know, it's coming from the research that we have on lactation and breastfeeding, but that means it's also coming from the clinical experience of the person who's supporting you. We also draw on anecdotal evidence because there is so much to be said for other cultures and how they handle breastfeeding challenges. And, you know, there is, it's still evidence that, that a technique or something works. So having someone that has that evidence-based background to support you is also going to be really helpful having a community that you can connect with. So if you have a few close friends, you know, if not finding a support community that's run by a lactation consultant or someone who is really knowledgeable in the area because there's so much information out there and there's so much in Facebook groups that isn't necessarily going to fit you and your journey. So finding that community of other parents in a space where, you know, someone can, can guide you um, can also be really helpful for your journey. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So what about the, the, the mother who, or the pregnant, the birthing person, the, the new parent who has come to the realization that maybe they're, they're not producing enough milk and they do want to start supplementing or going to a a milk bank. What are some tips to, like, I think that those sometimes emotional support is one of the biggest thing in counseling for people, especially if they're being really down on themselves. Like I was at the time I was, you know, I blamed myself. I was a bad mother. I couldn't make, I couldn't feed my own baby. I was in that space for a long time, but then the, 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 the logistics around combo feeding is, is there something that, is there anything that you can, you can tell us that can support um, people that are moving through that phase where they want to continue breastfeeding, but perhaps they don't have enough volume. So they're, so they're supplementing and what's the best way to, to support that in keeping your volume up as much as you can while also putting the baby on a bit of formula. Absolutely. So it is a, a bit of a, a balance because you, you do want to maintain your milk production, whatever that is. And the best way to do that is through responsive feeding. So sometimes it's is called on-demand feeding. It's essentially responding to baby when they're hungry, offering them the opportunity to be at breast. And when they're there, they're drinking, they're swallowing milk, that tells your body to produce more. And when we're working with families who have a, a low supply or they're not producing enough for baby or they, you know, they want to bring in formula, you have options. You can have your baby at the breast first and then afterwards they have the rest of their feeding as formula in a bottle or you can offer a a bottle of formula. So a a portion of their feeding first and then have them finish at breast. I personally like that because they get that final feeling of fullness, satiation, being at breast with you. You also get, you know, that comfort and connection. So it it absolutely can be done. This is, is another situation where it's really helpful to have someone on your team. So, you know, make sure your partner is on the same page and they know what your goals are and then have that professional to help you to help you find that balance because it, it can take you know a little bit of time before you start to feel comfortable in doing that but it's it's definitely one one journey that that um, many people experience okay 
Oh my gosh. I have so many questions that are coming up. I'm thinking we're going to have to do another whole episode. <laughs> Because now I'm like, what about weaning? What about this? What about this? But there are a couple of things that I do want to talk about um, that are really applicable to my audience, especially because I know a lot of the people that are listening are folks that are a little bit more advanced in age as, as I mean, I don't even like to say some of us that are riper <laughs> in life. So what about those folks? Is there any specific information, myself included? I'm 41. I'm going to be 42 later this year. Um, how can we support our breastfeeding journey as older women who, you know, I know my hormones are vastly different than they were five years ago, gosh, 10 years ago. I know I had issues the last time with breastfeeding and having enough. What are some things that we can do to support? And then I also, I think that maybe this is going to naturally segue into. Um, my next question, which was going to be about diet and, and nutrition for, for breastfeeding. So there, yeah. <laughs> two, yeah. Two questions in one. So there is a lot that can be done to help ensure that your journey gets off to a successful start. I am a big fan of, of hand expression. And so that is manually removing milk. But what I really love to encourage is once you've had a conversation with your provider, because we don't want to do hand expression in a situation where you might be high risk, but if you are not high risk and you've had an all clear from your provider, you can actually begin hand expression towards the end of your pregnancy and, and not waiting until baby is born. So by weeks 37, you can actually hand express, manually collect colostrum and freeze it so that you have it ready on delivery. Because if there are challenges, if you, if you have a birth by cesarean, if you and baby are separated, things that are going to interfere with the opportunity to be with your baby right away, having that colostrum on hand is a great way to not only get baby the, the food that they need, but also take a little bit of that stress and pressure off of yourself if you are finding that you aren't together in those first few hours after birth. Having the opportunity to room in with baby, so depending on where you're delivering, if you can be in the same space as baby, there is lots of research that suggests this helps get your breastfeeding or, or chest feeding journey off to a successful start because you can you can recognize these hunger cues when baby is hungry, you have that opportunity to bring them to breast to help support this, this, the transition of your colostrum into increasing in volume. It's also, you know, I would also encourage again, connecting with someone to, to help support you because sometimes we need to bring pumping into the picture a little early on. If there are challenges with, with bringing on that volume, there are galactagogues, which are this are herbs and, or, you know, foods. And, and in, in some countries we have medications that can also help to support and, and increase in milk production. And they can be used at the start of your journey temporarily. It's really um, individual based on, based on the person, but there is, there's so much that can be done. There's no reason to think you can't feed your baby because of your age. Amazing. So I love the word galactagogues. It's probably one of my favorite words in the world. <laughs> 
let's talk a little bit about about those about those foods. Let's talk food because I, you know, I love I love with my history as a as a holistic chef and working in that world for so long. I love the idea of using food as medicine, but also just. What I know that there are some some women I know that have had great success by really shifting the way they eat postpartum, um, whether it's been going more protein and high fat or or whatnot. Can you speak a little bit to what you have seen helpful when it comes to you know what what women can do when they're when they're pregnant, moving into their their breastfeeding journey, dietary dietary wise to to help? Yeah, so making sure you're eating enough. That is a huge, huge struggle as a new mom. It's something I see with my clients all the time is you're just not eating enough food. And it's because we have, you know, someone else who needs us 24 seven. And there's so many times where, you know, you get up in the morning, maybe you have a coffee and then it's one o'clock in the afternoon and you realize you haven't really eaten anything, you know, besides a muffin or, or something like that. So making sure you're eating enough calories because your body has a higher energy requirement. Now you are recovering from childbirth. You are also lactating and that in and of itself is an average of 500 calories extra per day. So making sure you're eating enough food and drinking enough water. We, we don't have research that says you need to, you know, drink tons of water or or large amounts of water increases milk production, but it's important that you stay hydrated. So those two things are key. And then there are foods that you can bring in to help support milk production. So those galactagogues that we're mentioning are things like oats and flax seeds and dates, herbs like fennel, alfalfa. These are all really supportive of your milk production. And these are their foods. So, you know, they're, they're readily accessible to most people. You can incorporate them in any way that you want. And because it's a food, there's no, you know, set numbers or set amounts that you have to consume. It's, you know, if you can incorporate that into your meal, they have the vitamins, the minerals, everything that's going to be supportive of your, your body and and lactation. Amazing. Now, do you, do you feel that things like eggs, animal proteins, any of those, is there any other foods that you think are, are beneficial that people consume more when they're breastfeeding? I know that sometimes they are, they, those help because they have, you know, um, depending what you're looking at, but sometimes more, more calorie dense than fruits and vegetables for the most part. But is there anything else in that realm? Absolutely. So calorie dense is, is important. So as I said, mentioning, trying to make sure you're eating enough. So if you're finding that a struggle, focusing on fat is really helpful because it is so nutritionally dense. So, you know, things like avocados or hemp seeds, walnuts, you know, incorporating those foods that are are a little bit higher in fat are going to be helpful. I love that you mentioned eggs actually, because eggs are a source of choline, which is something that you need lots of during pregnancy, but your needs actually increase during lactation. So incorporating eggs, uh, cruciferous veggies. So things like broccoli, cauliflower, those are also a source of choline. Bringing those into your diet is also helpful. When we're talking about animal proteins, if you incorporate fish, that is a, a great source of DHA. So things like salmon, there is no way to increase the amount of fat 
in your milk, but you can influence the type of fat, which is very supportive for baby's brain and their eyes. So bringing in that as well can be be really supportive for keeping your body nourished and then, you know, continuing to support your milk production and baby. Wow. I have like, I've written down about 10 more questions that I want to cover, (laughs) but we're going to, I think, I think we've covered a lot for today. I think, I mean, obviously this has just opened up the, the door and the gate to, to really seeing that there is so much that, you know, that as, as, as birthing people that we can consider when it comes to starting this, this really important journey, whether it is, you know, to breastfeed for three years of our baby's life, or just trying to get to that six month mark, there's lots to consider. So I want to ask you before, before we say goodbye for a couple of things, how can people find you if they want to connect with you? I got to say your social media is amazing. It's been such a wealth of information. So where can people find you online? Firstly, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Motherhood Blooms Lactation. You can find me on Facebook in the same way at Motherhood Blooms Lactation. Those are the platforms I'm on most often. And if you connect with me on either one of those platforms, send me a DM, say hi. Um, I would love to. I would love to hear from from them. Yes. And then, so what kind? What kind of offerings do people do you offer? Um, I know I'll probably be reaching out. To, to speak with you when I get closer to the, t- to the time that I'll be having my baby. But if people want to learn more about connecting with you, maybe working with you one-on-one or what, what kind of options do you currently offer? Yeah. So they can head to my website, which is motherhoodbloomslactation.com. And there you will be able to find the programs, the resources that I have. So I have a free postpartum prep guide for those who are expecting to find out the postpartum list that you should have, what to pack for delivery, how to prep for breastfeeding. I've got a free video download on milk supply sabotages and some common things that I see that can negatively impact your supply. So I've got that free resource available either on my website or or through Instagram. I do one-to-one coaching and I also have a a group program for new moms to basically be their their survival guide to get through all of those challenges and, and really breastfeed with ease. Oh my gosh. Now that, that sabotage, breast milk sabotage freebie sounds amazing. And I want to talk about it right now, but I'm going to leave it so that people want to hear about that. They have to go to your website and get that freebie. I know I'm going to do it as soon as I finish up here with you today. So Alex, thank you so, so much. Hopefully I can have you on the show to, to talk about many more aspects of this super important and, and beautiful process that, that we get to go through as birthing people. So thank you so much. Thank you, Meg. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. Me too. Thanks so much for listening. Please, if you would be so kind, I would be grateful if you could share, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Please follow the show over on Instagram at Fertile at 40 Podcast and share what you thought about this week's episode. Don't forget to tag us. For more info on today's show, please head on over to the podcast website at meganpearson.ca forward slash podcast. Until next time. 